Hey everyone, welcome to Beyond Sunday. Glad that you can join us. With me is Pastor Steve Ingold and our Brentwood worship leader, Taylor McAllister. What's up, guys? What's Hello. up? Welcome, everyone. We are glad you're with us. We, uh, Beyond Sunday is a um, conversation we have every week, just about every week, where we unpack the sermon from this weekend at Cornerstone Fellowship. And I go a little bit deeper, have a little bit more conversation. Uh, usually there's so much that our preacher, in this case, Steve Engold, this weekend, wasn't able to touch on um, and had a limited amount of time. And so we're able to extend it a little bit more and uh, extend the conversation. A lot of community groups uh, watch this together in preparation for the community group or to facilitate, facilitate discussion. And um, we launched a brand new series this weekend called Love Others, uh, where we are talking about racial reconciliation. Uh, we pivoted last week um, at the beginning of the week with everything going on. We really felt convicted and um, felt this obligation and this passion to really address what's going on in our country and in our own lives and in our own hearts. Um, this is a big moment for our country and what's going on. And um, so, Steve, I thank you for um, like you put that sermon together with not much notice. and. Um, I'm like super proud of how you poured your heart into that and how vulnerable and transparent you were with where you're at um, and didn't come at it like an expert, but um, also came at it with authority and, and a lot of heart and study in terms of what the Bible has to say about these issues. So um, I thought it was a great start. And um, I know I got a lot of great feedback from people in my circle who uh, were so thankful that we're addressing this issue head on. Um, and thought we did a really good job, but there's also people, a lot of people struggling as well who are, they're just like, they're wrestling with everything that's going on. And, um, and so hopefully this is helpful for, for people who are kind of wrestling and trying to listen and learn, but it's hard for them. Um, we want to help you out as much as we can. So great job this weekend. Thank you. Yeah, I would, I would even take that one step further and say, and say there's, there's not even, there's stuff that I didn't get to teach on um, this week, and there's going to be stuff that we don't even have time to touch on today. And so when we're talking about listening and learning and processing and struggling, like go through the whole journey with us, all five weeks of this and then beyond. Um, and let's continue to process and learn together because um, there's stuff that, that we all would have loved to, to discuss and work through this weekend that, you know, we just, we want to take a more measured approach with, with what's going on and make sure that we're taking people on a journey. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Make we sure have, you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so make sure you stick with us through that journey. Absolutely. We, there's some important um, aspects of this issue of racial, racial reconciliation that we have yet to get to. And so in this conversation, we have to be careful not to jump ahead to some of those other topics. Um, so we're going to be next week talking about black trauma, uh, black history through America and what um, oppression and trauma does to a group of people, especially a whole group of people. Um, and that's going to be really powerful, especially as we dig back into the Bible and look at oppression and how that played out over time. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about systemic racism is it a thing is it real look back in american history look at today um, look at how that existed in biblical times and then we're going to get into implicit bias what is that do we have it um, and then privilege how does privilege um, affect this issue and who we are and and how we take action and how we can use that to uh, to make a difference so 
Those are none of those are easy topics. I was gonna say it already. Some of those words just make make some of us go, nope, I don't want it. I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to venture down that. So that's why I'd encourage you just as much as you can process and listen and try and figure out and then and then and work through it as you do. And then I I imagine we're having lots of conversations coming or throughout this series and coming out of this series. Yeah, absolutely. That will be really healthy for us as individuals, but but really healthy for us as a church. So. Taylor, I wanted to check in with you and see how have the last two weeks been for you um, in terms of everything going on, how you've been processing, how are things going? Yeah, um, I am excited to be able to do this because it is something that not only affects me personally, but it's just something that affects our world. Um, and you know, I can only speak to what racism looks like for me as a black person. I can't speak to what it looks like for all the other races who have been affected by it. Um, but I am, I am proud that God has put me in a position to which I can be able to speak for those who have felt like they can't speak for themselves. Um, but it has been a lot um, that I've found many days where I'm very tired, um, not because I'm tired of the journey, but because um, it takes a lot mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, to take on something that weighs on you personally and weighs on you spiritually because you want so so much for people to understand why it is that God sees us the way that he does, that he sees us as image bearers, that he sees us in love, that he sees us as, as something that created he created that was good. Um, to have to make to have to like beg people to see that is is it frustrates me at times. And so to be able to look at this from a biblical perspective and as a leader within the church, I have to often push aside many of my personal feelings and emotions um, and remember why God has put me in the position that I'm in. Um, just like he, uh, they, um, just like it was said in Esther, like for such a time as this, there's a reason why we are all here together and, and we are able to speak into this as a church. Um, and so remembering that, that God has equipped us and will equip us as we go um, and not to get caught up in all of the social media and the emotions and all the personal things that come with it. And just remember that God is still God and God is still good, um, even when life is frustrating and tiring. Mm -hmm. So I am, yeah. I am blessed, but I am tired. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And Taylor, um, I was I was talking to a friend on Thursday and he was kind of saying how are you doing and I was like man I'm exhausted and then he said just think about how exhausted your black brothers and sisters are right now um, just this week from having the conversations they're having and then look at that over the course of 400 years and then let's talk about your exhaustion and I'm like oof all right <laughs> yeah. wow no no going easy there <laughs> no, no no people aren't going easy right now so which is great <laughs> Yeah. Steve, we had a few people ask, um, why are we repenting? I mean, Steve Madsen talked about him, him repenting on this issue. And then you, you said the same thing. And, um, a few people asked, wait, why? I don't mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you explain a little bit more why you're repenting? Yeah. So I think there's, I think the thing that I'm in, and I've said, I said this a couple times during the sermon, but the thing I'm repenting of is for as much as I thought I understood uh, what racism looks like in America today and the conversations I've had with my family members 
with folks in, in our church, with, um, with my friends, with people that work alongside me, um, I, I was still silent in the midst of that. And I've used that excuse of like, oh, I'm listening and learning. Uh, I've used listening and learning as an excuse for silence. And I'm like, man, that, that's where I went wrong. Like, and I was talking to my friend on the phone the other day and he's processing all this and kind of going like, I don't get it. I don't know where, where, if I understand, like, should I be apologetic? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And, and while we're talking on the phone, his, he was watching his, his two boys swimming in the pool and, um, and he's in the middle of a, of a sentence and he goes, Hey, stop holding your brother underwater. And I'm like, okay, hold on a sec, bro. That's exactly what I'm repenting of is you saw your one kid holding your other kid underwater and you said something. First of all, they knew that you're a source of power and authority and you had a voice to speak that they would listen to. And you spoke up. You weren't just like, man, I hope at some point they figure it out and he stops holding his brother underwater and, and we're good. You spoke up and I said, this is the thing. There, are, there is a group of people within America who feel and have been held underwater for the last 400 years. And, and me, as someone who's said, I get it, I understand what the, what, what's going, not that I understand what you're going through, but I understand that this is an issue. And I've just gone, you know what, I hope it really works itself out. And I'm just going to keep learning and listening about what's going on instead of speaking out. I said, that's what I'm repenting of. That's mm -hmm. what I'm sorry for is I saw someone hurting someone else and I have not said anything with the platform that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've been repenting in the same way because, you know, I, I, you know, we, obviously we, um, if you know my story at all, that both of our boys are black. Um, we adopted them in 07 and 09. And, um, and so I entered into a journey, you know, when we adopted them, we were ignorant and, naive and had no idea how this was going to change our lives in such drastic ways like we just had no idea and um that launched us on a journey of like really digging into black history the black experience in america before today and so part of what i'm repenting of is a little bit like you but like not that i i personally know the black experience or anything like that but i know enough through my 10 plus years of caring deeply about the black experience because of my boys, that my silence over the last three to four years, um, I feel like is even more inexcusable because I have a little bit of a view and insight and experience through my boys and then work that I've done that um, I've like the last two weeks, I've felt deeply ashamed. Like just like this conviction that, that hits you so deep where you're like, like, I don't even want to do this conversation because I, I, I feel, sh I feel shame around it. Like I'm a, I'm not qualified. B I've dropped the ball on this to such a degree that like no part of me feels like I should be here speaking on this at all. Mm. But I also know that God has put me in a position of authority within the church and that for me to be silent is a sin. And so like, it's one of those moments where it's like, buckle up, like, don't wallow in shame, like step up and do what God has called you to do. And, and like, I feel like that's part of why God, why I started as missions pastor at Cornerstone is because I felt like our church, but then the bigger church, like needed to move forward into being a voice for those who are mar marginalized. 
for being more of a church that's about those who are in need, those who are hurting, those who are in pain, like to help this, the church step even further into that was why I like quit my job and came to Cornerstone. And so the fact that for a few years now, I haven't been driving the church with the authority and influence that I have towards that in the way that God called me to in the very beginning when I started at Cornerstone in 2010, like I, I'm repenting and I, and I, sh I have to repent. And so um, for the people on the chat uh, or the people who are like, we don't have, you know, we don't have anything to repent for as white people. Like you're wrong. You, you are so wrong. And I would love to sit down and talk to you if you want to, you want to talk more about that. But like, it, it hurts my heart to hear Cornerstone people say that. Um, and, uh, and dismiss so much of the black experience. So, and I think in that lies a situation. I mean, there are many people who have seen the black experience in America and even seen racism across, I mean, every, across every culture. Um, but it stops at feeling bad. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really the issue is like, it, it's always for many people stopped at feeling bad. And so, um, then we come to these kind of conversations and we come to them late because mm -hmm. many times I think we get lost in our own uh, guilt and emotions when we see other people um, hurting and we're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And um, I mean, we call it for what it is in a lot of ways. It's selfish to say like, Oh, I just feel so bad. I don't know what to mm -hmm. do. And then just walk away from it. It's, mm -hmm. it's selfish in a lot of ways, especially if we call ourselves Christians this is a part of what God has given us to do. Um, it has called us to love and speak for those who didn't have a voice. I mean, you see it all across the Bible um, where God sent leaders to be able to stand up and speak for people who couldn't speak for themselves. And so we as Christians, even more so, repent of these things. I mean, myself, I repent of these things because this is not only um, something that affects me personally, this is my community. These are my people. And there have been many moments where even I, as a Black person, have been silent because I thought, well, it's not happening to me, so I'll just, if I just avoid what's happening, it won't happen to me. I'll just, I'll stay back here and I'll, I'll just stay in my place. Um, the, the reality is, there are many points in time where the church has missed the mark. Um, and, but I, I, I strongly feel that coming to the conversation, even now, um, while we have catching up to do, um, we still have a place in which we can speak. We still have a place in which we can help and be a part of it. And if anything, it should become the fabric of the big church as a whole. We should never shy away from these, from these things in fear that people would look at us and say, you have no place in this fight. God has told us that we have a place in this fight. So therefore, we will, we will fight and we will love and we will show what God has called us to do and show how God has called us to love. And in, and in repenting, by repenting, we're saying we're, we are going to turn away from what we were doing before and we are going to make a change. So it's not just saying, oh, I feel bad. Mm -hmm. By repenting, we're saying we're, we don't, just see the error of our ways we see how we're going to fix the error of our ways mm -hmm. and so for that i i extremely appreciate cornerstone because it wasn't just like a oh we we feel bad and then like 
you know, do like a quick two minute thing and then keep going. It was, wow, we missed it big time. We need to, we need to get into this. We need to fix this and we need to do it now. Mm -hmm. um, so I greatly appreciate our church for how we are becoming a part of um, this, this, uh, a solution in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be a long journey. We have this five-week series, but the five-week series is just kicking off a journey that will go on for a long time. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we're going down that road. Um, I've had conversations with people just in, in the last week um, that are, they, they're having a hard time believing the black experience and, and hearing the pain in the black experience and the, the cry out for the help and I'm not heard and all of that. And, one of the things that I've learned in pastoral ministry and in Christian counseling is when someone comes into your office and they're struggling and they kind of share what's hurting them, what their pain is, the, the worst thing you can do, sorry, I bumped my computer. The worst <laughs> thing you can do is your first instinct is to try to decipher, is their feeling a legitimate feeling? based on proper justification or an illegitimate feeling and something they should not be feeling like the worst counsel, no counselor in the world would ever do that. Right. No pastor in the world would ever immediately jump to judgment on, should you feel that way or should you not feel that way? Do you have evidence? No, you, you start with getting into their pain, like trying to understand it, trying to place yourself in their shoes and then trying to listen and empathize with their pain and I believe that's exactly what Jesus teaches as well, right? I mean, he, he goes straight for the marginalized and, and those who are struggling all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's no condemnation when he, he, he's, he's listening, he's caring, he's healing. Um, and I know in my past, I strug I've struggled with this. And I know a lot of people that I'm in conversation with, they immediately want to dismiss the black experience and say, oh, they're, they're imagining it. They're sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really there. This is all media driven. And, um, and for me, that not getting into someone's pain and really trying to understand it is, that's not representative of the gospel. And so we're all challenged to do that, especially in this time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a lot like, I mean, let's go back to the beginning with, with coronavirus. Um, when, when coronavirus first hit, it wasn't really, many people weren't really worried about it because it wasn't in the U.S. yet. So it didn't really affect us. We were just like, oh man, that's, that's crazy what's happening over in other countries. And then it hit us. And all of a sudden we started to feel the effects of, of what other countries were feeling. And I mean, the, at the end of the day, I'll never know what it is to be white. You guys will never know what it like fully is to be black. But like, we, we see it differently when it starts to affect the people that we know. I know that my friends saw racism differently when they actually saw it happening to me, mm -hmm. when they actually saw it happening to someone that they say they care about. And so all of a sudden, racism wasn't just a thing that people talked about. It became real for them because there was someone that they loved that they saw as worth it, that they saw as beautiful, and they saw it happen right in front of their eyes and it shattered their world because they realized, oh my gosh, this isn't just something that happened back in the 60s or 400 years ago. This is still a thing now. Um, and so in a lot of ways, like people kind of have to, 
they have to act as if that's what's happened, as if the people in their lives are the ones who are being affected by it, because more than likely they are. Um, people need to act like the people that they know are the ones who are being affected by it for them to truly understand the, the empathy and that we need to have for people. It, we don't necessarily have to ourselves walk through it to be able to see the pain. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what's, what's interesting too within, within that is when I, when I look at Jesus's response um, to pain and stuff, like you, Chris, you brought it up in, in the Gospels. I got a chance to share at Men's Breakfast on Saturday morning um, uh, in our Livermore campus, <clears throat> and it was something I committed to before I knew I was preaching, so <laughs> I was like, hey guys, I haven't prepared anything. I'm just going to speak from the heart this morning, and um, had spent a lot of time reading John chapter 11 when Lazarus died and Jesus shows up and, mm -hmm. and Martha's like, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And she comes at him in anger. and She's like frustrated with the fact that the God of the universe didn't prevent her friend from dying and, or her brother from dying and, and his friend from dying. Um, and instead what, um, what Jesus does, he doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't say your pain's invalid and don't like, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? It says he sees her weeping. He sees the people around weeping. And then scripture, John writes two things that, that, that are so interesting. He says he was moved in spirit and the Greek word, I'm going to butcher it if I try to pronounce it, but the Greek word is, um, he was angry and sometimes that word is used to describe an angry grunt. So like Jesus had a reaction of like a, he was angry. And then he, it also says, and he was troubled and the troubled is like, that word has more of a connotation of visceral pain. Like you can see the pain that he has. And so he's not angry or pained at what he's hearing right now. He's angry and pained at the injustice of death. And so that's his response in that moment. He looks around and he, he, he gets upset and, and then he says, Where, where's Lazarus laid? And he walks with them over to, to where Lazarus is laid. And, um, and so he's experiencing, and, oh, and then the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. He experienced their pain with them and felt their pain with them. And what's so significant about that is the guy who has all the answers didn't offer the answers. Yeah. And he just felt what people are feeling. So you talk about the best counselor, the best pastor, and his response to people's pain um, was to listen and, and get angry alongside at injustice. And the injustice is death. He knows better than anyone else that mm -hmm. we weren't intended for death. But that was his response. And I think it's such a great example mm -hmm. of how we respond to people's trauma, pain, hurt, mm -hmm. anger. Right, righteous anger. That's so good. That's powerful. Steve, you talked about God's design for diversity in your sermon. Um, uh, that's part of God's plan. It's far, diversity allows for the, the full representation of the image of God, the character of God, um, with variety, diversity, um, people. He sent us out to, to cover the whole face of the earth. Um, in different climates that created different types of cultures and different types of ways of doing things. And um, I, I really resonated with what you were saying around um, how a group of people will develop a culture and they'll develop a way of doing things that is really comfortable for them. And they want to, throughout world history, throughout biblical history, and even today, 
you want to protect what's comfortable and what's normal and what feels right to you in terms of the way things should be done. Um, and it's amazing to me throughout world history, the lengths that groups of people will go to protect their way of doing things, to protect their culture. Um, and you even said generally groups will, they'll have to go to group to protect their culture. They'll have to diminish and reduce other cultures to diminish a threat to their culture. Um, and I saw this play out in my family growing up. Um, my family was always, not always, but at times vocal with worry about how the demographics of our country were changing and, you know, Mexicans are coming in and California is becoming, you know, you know, there's, a, you know, people, Silicon Valley is bringing in people from Asia and, blah, blah, you know, the, the racism, inherent racism in my family, it cropped up as fear because my family had a, a picture in their mind of what American life should be like. And it revolved around what was comfortable for them. And so the, the, the thought of that changing was really uncomfortable for my family, um, the family I grew up in. And um, it was threatening to the way of life that my family had. And so they would react in, in very negative ways to other culture groups. And so I'm very familiar with how those cultural dynamics and protecting our culture and attacking other cultures, usually verbally or through propaganda plays out. Um, I don't know if you guys have like similar experiences with those type of dynamics or, or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, what's interesting, my, my late grandfather who I have the utmost respect for and loved dearly. Um, and you know, still do. He passed a few years back. Um, he, uh, one of the things that he was so proud about in his life is that he went to Germany to fight against the Nazis because of the way that they were oppressing the Jewish people and people who weren't like them. Like he loved that about himself. Um, and he, but not that he like in, a, in an arrogant way, but he was like, that was something that was, that mattered to him. He loved that. Um, it was either his grandparents or great grandparents or something um, were one of the houses that were helping people, uh, um, escape slavery so they were part of the underground railroad and and he was like so like he's like that's my family's legacy and I love that and then we'd be hanging out and he'd be like Steve there's a lot of Mexicans moving into Indiana and they haven't caused much trouble yet but I got my eye on them and I'm like grandpa how do you reconcile these two that that line of thinking along with these other things that mark you and it's because like he couldn't see that some of that inherent racism that he had and he, like he, great human, like you talk, you meet anyone who ever met my grandfather, regardless of, of uh, race, gender, whatever, they would say that that is a man of God, but he still had this part to him that was just inherent to who he was. And, and I saw that multiple times growing up and it's difficult to reconcile actions and actions that conflict with, with each other or words that conflict with each other where it's like, this doesn't this doesn't line up and it's not at the heart of God. And I think that's some of the stuff that we're processing and working through and working out of ourselves. Yeah. And when you're, in, when you're in the majority culture, you're, you're afraid of, of losing that power, right? Mm -hmm. That power is precious to you because, because we got to set the tone for what American culture is like. And you don't, you know, you're kind of your sin instinct is to protect that. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing, even like his thing with World War II and with the Underground Railroad, that doesn't diminish his power. And if anything, it emphasizes the power. Right. Right. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, look at what we did. And it's not oh. like my grandfather was doing that, but, but the, when your power and authority is threatened and your comfort is threatened, that's when you start going, no, I'm right. going to keep that at a distance. Well, is yeah, it? I mean, we, oh, we thought, I mean, I saw it just in my high school alone. Like um, when we would have like, you know, club day when you could come in and you could like sign up to be a part of all these clubs. Um, you saw cultural clubs like BSU, Faces of Africa, um, you had a, a, a Bali club, a Bollywood club, like all these different cultures and such. But there were kids that would literally go by and make it like a point to make fun of these cultural clubs mm -hmm. and, and say these awful things about these clubs to diminish what they meant. And so like oftentimes as a, my friend and I, we started Faces of Africa and um, people would come over and they'd say, are you guys going to have fried chicken Fridays? Or why can't we have um, a white student union? And I'm just like, why can't we just, why can't we just have our club? Why can't we just teach what our culture is um, without feel, without being made to feel like our culture is like, is a threat to people. And so it was, I mean, just seeing that as a teenager, it was so frustrating because I was just like, you know what? I'm not saying anything against your culture. I'm wanting to celebrate mine. Um, mm -hmm. And there were kids that would say like, oh, look at this. There's, there's too many. There's too many cultures in our school now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> what's happening? Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just, it was sad because it was like, we were, many students were so pumped about being able to share their culture, what it's, what it's brought to our country, um, how it was shown in our school. Mm -hmm. We were so pumped about it. And yet we were also made to feel like we were wrong for wanting that. Yeah. Uh, which is really sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. It really is. Um, okay. I have a change. Can I change the subject a little bit? I mean, you're the so, host, so I, get, I guess you get to pick what we do. I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> um, so there's a common phrase that um, people use um, that I've used before and I had to be coached to say, Hey, there's a, there's a better way to say things. Um, and um, oftentimes I've said before, or I've heard other, other people say, um, I don't see color, I'm colorblind. And they're saying that with really good intentions to say, hey, I'm like, I love all people is what they're trying. That's what, what they're trying to say is I love all people when they say I'm colorblind or I don't see color. Mm -hmm. um, but what, and, and Taylor, you can, you can help us out on this. What mm -hmm. I've been taught in regards to that phrase um, is it can be an offensive phrase, especially for African-Americans because, mm -hmm. and, and others, because what it does is it, um, it diminishes and it kind of completely neglects the story of who they are. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't even see me because this yeah. is part of, black is my identity and our story as black people is part of who I am. And so for you not to see that is for you not to see me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like what, what some white people are trying to say something nice and they're trying to say, I love all people. And in our ignorance, we don't know that we're actually saying something offensive to not just black people, but other ethnicities as well. Does that resonate with you, Taylor? Yeah. And you know, it's, and it's so funny because, um, when we look at people's, like, we look at the things that make people different from us. Um, just like, um, Steve talked about a lot of times, 
um, we, we see our differences as a way, as a reason to keep people distant. Um, and for us, I mean, for, I know for many cultures, the, the tone of their skin, while it does not um, define who they are, it's a part of who they are. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing my skin and saying like, oh, I just don't see color. It's like, no, I, I want you to see the color of my skin. And I want you to see that it's just another part of what makes me who God has made me to be. It's just another part of me that makes me me. Um, and so while it is rooted in, in you know, in a genuine uh, <laughs> like expression to say like, look, like I don't, I don't just see you at, for your skin. And it's like, I, I get that. Thank you for not only seeing me as my skin, um, but we are proud of our, of our skin and as everyone should be. Um, because God created us all to be and look different. If anything, it's so cool to know that while I can be in a group of, of people who have the same ethnicity or the same, um, the, the same skin tone, um, yeah, the same skin, our skins look exactly different. So to see the beauty in mm -hmm. how different we all look, it just goes to show you the creativity of God. And so that is what I see my skin as. I see my skin as God looking at me and saying, I want to give you something that I see as beautiful, something that I see as beautiful, unique, and different. But still, there are things that can, there are similarities that we have that can bring us together. And so my hope is that you would see the color of my skin and see it as something that is beautiful. See it as something as an asset. See it as something that is connected to me but not the only thing about me. Um, so yeah, I, I get why people want to say that, but I would shy away from saying, I would say, let's get rid of the phrase because I, I am a proud black woman and mm -hmm. I know many who are proud and I know many who are proud to be white, to be Hispanic, to be Asian. All of it is beautiful. God would not have created diversity if he didn't want it. And he wanted us to be able to celebrate it. But um, in our in our sin we have used it as a reason to stay disconnected mm -hmm. and so we need to change that we need to see god's the differences that god created as something beautiful mm -hmm. and as as the imago day that he meant it to be amen yeah i think to just add on to that if if it's going if i don't think one one skin tone can adequately reflect the image of an infinite god and if yeah. we are created in god's image then um, it probably takes all different types of cultures and, um, and, and colors and expressions of who he is. So I think that's well, yeah, important. I mean, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, even if you just look at the people around us, I mean, um, Chelsea, our, our Brentwood children's pastor, we often get mistaken for each other, but the, the beauty in our differences is so cool. And we, we talk about that and celebrate that. There's so much that you can learn about the Black culture from just talking to the two of us, but even looking at, the, at Black culture across the world, um, every single person is different. Mm -hmm. And so again, it shows the beauty of God in their personalities, in their skin tone, in their hair, um, in, in their families and where they come from, all of it. There is beauty in all of it. So we should celebrate it, not look at it as something to be 
um, intimidated by. We should celebrate really the creativity of God. If we can't look at it as anything else, let's look at it as the creativity of God and what he saw as good. Because when he created man, he said it was good. Mm. When he created humans, he said it was good. And so therefore our skin tone, our hair, our eyes, our lips, everything about us, it was good. Mm -hmm. So that is how we should see it. So, so Taylor, you missed an opportunity right there because you said that the, that even our hair and now God, and you work for the, our campus pastor who doesn't have any hair and you totally could have thrown him <laughs> under the bus right there and you didn't. So I'm a little upset. Hair. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, Love you, Clint. <laughs> um, but, uh, but one thing I'll add on, to, I, I, I agree with what Taylor just said 100%. I also think something to take into consideration is there's this other kind of way that saying I don't see color has been weaponized in certain ways by the predominant race, um, which is if you're in majority and you see you say I don't see color, I just see you're kind of saying you need to become like us. Mm-hmm. Like there's this part of it was like you need to assimilate into my culture and what I want and what I what I prefer. And then we're all on the same playing field because I'm the majority. And when I'm the majority, then everyone should be like me. And there's that implication that's there that completely minimizes the experience of someone who's not in the majority. My mom uh, grew up, uh, she was born and grew up in London, England. And so in London, she would say that, you know, if you were of a different culture, whether you were African, Pakistani, Indian, anything, if, if you wore your culture proudly, you wore um, the, the clothes and you ate the food, like you wore it proudly. She said it wasn't until she came into to America as a missionary um, that she saw kind of what it looked like for people to kind of just assimilate to like whatever American culture was. She was like, it was almost like people were just like, just draw as little attention to yourself as possible so that no one, so that you can just get along with everyone. If we just all look the same, then we then we won't start any fights. Um, she's like, and you lose the culture that that America was, where it was a melting pot of many cultures. And um, she's like, in a place where you should like see a bunch of cultures being celebrated, you see all these cultures shrinking down and saying, please just don't look at me, <laughs> just avoid looking at me, and then we won't have problems. Um, and so it's interesting, even seeing it from her perspective. Um, as a woman from England coming to America as a missionary, trying to figure out what is God calling her to do or how is God calling her to, to mm-hmm. be a part of this, of this country? Like that was one of the first things she noticed. She was like, oh man, like everybody just dresses and, and does the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, not even, it's not even like, it's not even like telling another culture to stay in their lane. It's like, no, 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 get in my lane. Like that's mm-hmm. like, you have to be like this. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even allow, it's, it's not even that, it's not even the otherizing of like the distance of you get over there. It's like, no, you can be close if you're like this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is, yeah. Which is, which is the opposite direction of the mission that God gave us to bring heaven to earth, right? Heaven, heaven come down, heaven, we, we know clearly that it's representative of all nations, right? And so, and there's plenty of implication that those cultures, right? There's, there's there's a celebration of those cultures. And so we got a long ways to go. 
And um, I'm excited. We're starting this journey as a church and hopefully um, we, the gospel can kind of like, like massage its way into how we view all of these issues. And we see this as a gospel issue, not a political issue, not even a social issue, although it's definitely a social issue, but it's primarily a gospel issue. Um, well, yeah, I mean, racism is, is, uh, is only a symptom of something bigger and that's mm -hmm. sin. Um, while it is not, while it's not the only sin, it is, a, it's rooted in sin. And so while like, you know, we say like, hey, it's not a, it's not a, a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Like many times we see in the Bible where God deals with specific sins or specific things happening in the, in that time, in that moment. And so here we're dealing with a situation in a moment. And it's, unfortunately, this moment has lasted for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, we, we have to be able to jump into this and say like, and look through the lens of the gospel because there are many people that are not looking at it like that. And you see it in social media, you see it all over the news. People are not seeing it the way that we were meant to see it. And that is that it is sin. And so how do you deal with sin? You combat sin with the word of God. You combat sin with the, the tools that God has given us, but we still deal with the symptoms as well. We deal with the specific things that are happening. Um, and God gives us, um, the tools that we need. God talks about these things in the Bible. And so then when we face another symptom of sin, there is always going to be something in the Bible that teaches us what to do in the moment, but also attacking the root of it, which is sin. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I think that's a great note to, uh, to end on. So appreciate uh, you both joining me and uh, we're going to continue this conversation next week and really looking forward to, to getting even deeper into um, some important things that we, um, that most of us have to learn um, as we continue to listen and learn and then um, get better at loving others. So that's our hope. So appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys.